Let me pray, and then we're going to um, we're going to open up the scriptures and talk about the scriptures a little bit this morning. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are you are good. You are such a good Father. You are God. You are the Almighty. You are Jehovah Jireh. You're Jehovah Rapha. You have so many uh, sides and facets to your nature, God, but you are our provider. You are our, our friend. You're our redeemer. You're our mighty counselor. You're Prince of Peace. And we just pray right now that uh, you would be made known in our lives in a deeper way today, that we would discover um, something new about you. And you're not new. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. But we would we would get to know you in a more intimate way this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I want to talk about this book this morning. I want to talk about the Bible uh, as a whole. I want to talk about a little bit of a teaching, I guess, a little bit of a historical uh, view um, of this book, uh, how we got it. Um, you know, many people... Uh, if you're like me, I, I grew up, didn't grow up in a Christian home. So when I uh, started reading the Bible, I started at Genesis and I think I got to Leviticus and I was like, oh my goodness, I have no idea what <laughs> this is talking about. This is dry. And, um, you know, and then I started reading the Gospels. But, you know, I thought, hey, you pick it up, you read it from, you know, cover, from the front cover to the back cover. That's, you know, how you read any book. And, um, you know, and then I, I started to realize, hang on, a lot of this, it doesn't flow chronologically either. either. And, uh, you know, I was, you know, reading stories in Mark that were also in Luke and that they were also in Matthew and they were all over the place. They weren't in the same chronological order. And, um, you know, and then also in the Old Testament, uh, you'd start to read, you know, Genesis, Exodus, you know, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, those, these kind of uh, books, and then you'd get to, you know, maybe Kings, uh, and you, you get a more narrative style, and there's all these different styles, and then you get to the Psalms and the, and the poetry uh, writings, and you're like, what on earth is going on here? This is a, a different style of writing, uh, and, and, um, and so getting an understanding or getting a picture or a broader uh, uh, brushstroke of what the Bible um, is how we are to read it and the journey that we are to go on and understand it, uh, how we actually got the Bible is actually really, really important and I think is something that I, I feel uh, every Christian should at least have a fundamental knowledge of, okay, if I'm reading this book, I know the, uh, I know a little bit about the context, I know a little bit about the history, and I know a little bit, a bit about the narrative or the style of writing uh, that these books are written in, uh, you know, so we know when to take things literal and when we know, you know, to take things that, hey, that's a parable or that's an analogy or that's a, um, you know, that's a, a poetry or a prophetic decree or whatever, whatever it is that we actually understand first and foremost, that's the lens on which we can look through. And then, yes, obviously God can speak to us uh, in any way that he wants to uh, today, um, but having an understanding. And so I really just want to go on a journey with us as a church and as a community that we, um, yeah, we don't just read this book for ticking the Christian um, box to feel good about ourselves. I read my Bible today. 
Um, but I would rather we read this book um, with an understanding uh, that we read it to understand it and then we read it so we can actually know the author and the author can know us. Um, it's, I heard this quote, uh, which was awesome and I loved it. It says, everyone who reads this book can have an intimate relationship with the author. It's the only book in the entire world that the author wants to have an intimate relationship with everyone that reads it. That's incredible. You know, um, uh, C.S. Lewis doesn't get to have an intimate relationship with everyone that reads, reads the Narnia series, but God can have an intimate relationship with every single person that reads this book and, and gives themselves to uh, understanding it in that way. And so, you know, the, the Bible is, is fascinating in how we got the Bible. Uh, I've been doing a lot of, uh, some of this has been recap for me, but some of it over the last two, three, four months, uh, I've just been listening to a lot of podcasts, reading a lot of books, uh, really delving into the uh, origins of scripture and how we got this, you know, the Bible we have today. And uh, some of this might be uh, new to you. Some of it might be like, oh, I know that, or that's a great recap, or I didn't know that. Um, and so I want to go through a little bit uh, of how we got this book. I want to go through some of the different writing styles uh, and then some things, hopefully I'll weave a little bit of teaching in through there as well of how we can um, just be good stewards of reading the word and understanding it. And so, uh, and, and hopefully some practical tools as well. Um, so really the, the first uh, uh, account of a complete New Testament and Old Testament uh, that we have uh, or know of is in the um, Nicaea, in the, in the, um, in Nicaea, which is in, I think it's in modern day Turkey now. Um, and there was a council, the Council of Nicaea, that you know, some of you may have heard of that. And I think it was around the, the uh, mid to late th uh, 300s uh, AD, so in the third century. Uh, and there was a council that was formed that we now, we were in agreement of these are the 27 books that we're going to have in the New Testament. Uh, and the Old Testament was already established, but the New Testament was uh, was decreed there and they agreed on these are the ones that were, um, you know, to be put into the New Testament. And so uh, I'm not going to go too much into why they chose those books, but one of the reasons uh, we know uh, there was a man, uh, uh, he was a, a Caesar or a, uh, an emperor uh, called Diocletian, and he was around the late 200s, second century uh, AD, and he... Um, he would kill Christians if they were in uh, possession of one of the Gospels or one of the letters. And um, they, they, there was a lot of uh, Gnostic doctrines and um, heretical doctrines that were going around at that time. And they wouldn't, uh, if you were carrying one of those letters, you, you weren't willing to die for it. But if you were carrying the Gospel of John or the Gospel of Mark or the, uh, you know, the Galatian letter of Paul and you were carrying that around, um, people were willing to die for those letters to be circulated around the churches uh, or around you know, the regions. And so that was one of the markers. Uh, it wasn't the only one, but that was one of the markers that actually made them realize, oh, if they're willing to die for that and then it meets all these other criterias, then um, it, it's worth taking note and putting it in into the canonization of scripture, which is the, the full, uh, full bookends of scripture. And so 
so that's 300, uh, around 300 AD. We have the first kind of uh, New Testament um, being compiled. Uh, the New Testament has 27 books. The Old Testament has 39 uh, books, which is really cool. It's 66 books in total. Uh, and if you have Isaiah, this is a little side note. I love this little bit of information. But Isaiah has 66 chapters uh, in Isaiah. And uh, chapter 1 to 39, so 39 books in the Old Testament, is pretty much about um, the Old Testament uh, and about um, Israel's journey and Jerusalem and the, the Hebrew people. And then chapter 40 begins, uh, you know, sing to the Lord a new song. It starts to declare about the, the, a new day coming. And uh, so from chapter 40 to 66 is pretty much um, the beginning of the New Testament. So that's just a really cool uh, kind of parallel that um, has a lot more to it if you, if you want to study that out, but it's just awesome, really, really cool. Um, and so uh, it wasn't really until 1300 uh, AD that there's this guy called John Wycliffe or John Wycliffe, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but John Wycliffe, um, you might know Wycliffe Bible translations out here in Kangaroo Ground. Um, but he hand wrote, I don't know if it was just him, but he hand wrote um, and translated the first Bible uh, and into sort of the common language of the day. And so um, I haven't personally seen the Bible, but I know that people who have um, say that his handwriting was, or whoever wrote it, their handwriting was so immaculate that it looks like it's been printed on, on you know, from a printing press. Uh, and so that, that started to, you know, there were multiple Bibles that started to circulate around 1300. And then it wasn't until 1500 uh, AD, which is when Martin Luther, um, not Martin Luther uh, King Jr., different Martin Luther, um, he, uh, the printing, uh, the, uh, um, oh, I forget the name, Gut Gutenberg printing press, I think it was, uh, that um, started to print Bibles. And uh, we had the first printed, uh, from printing press in the Gutenberg press was the first printed Bible uh, in the German common language. And so uh, before that, literacy, um, and this excites me, this might be, you might be like, well, what's, what's so good about this and why is this so important is because um, before that literacy rate in a town was so low. You could go into any town and it was maybe the priest, um, maybe one or two of the lawyers and maybe the royalty of that town were the only people that could read and write, um, maybe a few other scholars and things like that could read and write. But here, now with the printing press and now with the Bible being printed, literacy rates started to increase and the common folk of the town could have access to actually reading scripture. And so they had these things which they, would, uh, they were called the pulpit Bibles and they would chain the pulpit uh, the Bible to the pulpit and you'd have a Bible in your town that the priest would read and study and, um, you, know, out, out, um, you know, share on a Sunday morning or, or whenever church was for them. And so here you, it, it's incredible because before that, a priest or a, 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 you know, a, a, um, a minister of God could literally say anything they wanted and it would never be checked. 
No one could, you know, if I come in and I'd say this, you would have no way of knowing. You just have to take my word for it because I was the only one that could read and I was the only one that could have access to the scriptures. Whereas now we have access to the scriptures on our phones. We have access to Strong's, uh, which a guy, James, James Strong, I think his name, James Strong, um, took every word apart and the, all the the, all the ins, all the, every single word, um, and it has a meaning, a, a, the, the meaning behind it could be these things, this is in the context of this, this is what it overall means, and we have the strongest concordance, which is bigger than the Bible. Um, and so, just incredible what we have access to um, today. Uh, and then, um, 1800s, so another sort of 300 years after that, um, different translations started to circulate, and now, you know, um, in the year 2020, we have uh, an incredible uh, opportunity. And my point of saying all of those things is that people fought sweat, blood, and tears for you and I to have this in our hands today and read it in English and have access to it. And like I said at the start, that we should be. Um, not just reading it to tick the Christian box, but we actually get to read this in a way that we're like, oh, I get to know the author. I get to delve into what these guys were experiencing and then let this book read me. You know, we don't just read the Bible. The Bible should read us, you know. And what I mean by that is we should be uh, humble and, and willing to go, oh, I, that there is speaking to my heart and I need to correct something in my life or whatever it is. And so... Uh, I just think it's incredible that we can hold and read this book and have a full Bible at our disposal, and it's just amazing. So um, a couple of things about the, the Bible, as I mentioned at the start, it's uh, not in chronological order. And so you can, um, you know, uh, the, the Tanakh, which, uh, Jalil, if I'm saying that wrong, please, sorry, <laughs> the, or t- the Tanakh, I need to get the you know, the Tanakh uh, is, uh, which if, if we take the TA out of the Tanakh, that's the law or the Torah. Uh, that's the, the first five books of the Bible. Some people might know it as the Pentateuch. Um, and so that's the, the law. And then the uh, NA, or that stands for the prophets or the Navim. So we have the Torah, the Navim, and then the Ketavim, which is the, um, the writings or the poetry. Uh, sorry, no. The prophets and the poetry is the Navim, and then the writings, which is the um, Ketavim. And so that's where we get the word Tanakh from. It's, it's T-A-N-A-K-H. And so that's the law, the prophets, and the writings. That's where we get the Old Testament from. And so um, uh, if you, li- if you, you can look this up yourself as well. Um, but the, there's three different literary styles. styles. There's narrative, which is about 43%, and then there's poetry, which is 33%, and then there's, um, it's called prose discourse, which is about 23% um, of uh, the Bible, of of the writings. And so, uh, and that's really important because when we're reading scripture uh, and we're reading maybe a narrative story, um, we're looking at it through the lens of, oh, they're, they're telling a story. They're telling something that literally happened and it's speaking to the reader of that day. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples in a second, but um, I just want to finish explaining the uh, sort of um, completion of the, of the scriptures. 
And then we have the New Testament, and so we have the, um, the Gospels, which are the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, and then we, and the Synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then John, and that's why John is, is a little bit different. Um, a great way of explaining it is three people were looking at this pulpit from that angle and they explained it that way, and one person was looking at it from that angle and they explained it a little bit different. Um, and so that's why John wrote a little bit different. Matthew wrote uh, predominantly to the Jews. Mark wrote predominantly to the Gentiles. Luke wrote it in chronological order. And John wrote from a slightly different angle. And so that's, that's just some simple um, ground knowledge that we can... Oh, okay, Luke is chronological. It's in order. And so we can see uh, a little bit systematically of how Jesus' life unfold, unfolded. And so, uh, and then we have the epistles, which are letters, or Paul wrote um, Hebrews. We're not sure who, who wrote Hebrews. Some say Paul, some say Barnabas, some say others. Uh, we don't know. Um, and then we have uh, poetry. Again, we have that writing with like the book of Revelation, uh, especially. And there is another one there, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. And so... Um, we, we, uh, it's important, and then we have chapters. Chapters got put in a lot later uh, in uh, the initial um, uh, um, uh, writings. Uh, the chapters were not in, uh, in the Bible. And uh, we, we can know this by, uh, I'm going to give you an example. So if we, if we go to Romans 8, actually I'll just quote it because I know it. It says, um, it starts off Romans 8 verse 1. It says, therefore... Therefore, there is now no condemnation who, for those who are in Christ Jesus. I, I've never started a letter or a text message with the word therefore. <laughs> it's, we've got to understand why the therefore is therefore. And so that's a, that's, it's a really, uh, not all, some uh, chapter breaks are really good, but it's, it's, if I read, if I write a letter to my wife and I write a five-page letter and she's like, hey, I'm going to write, I'm going to read one page a day. And then on day five, I'm going to read, page five, a letter is supposed to be writ, read in one sitting. And you, when you start to read them in, in their context and start to read them as a whole letter, you start to get a richer and a deeper understanding for scripture. Then you just read one little bit of passage and it might speak to you. Absolutely. That's totally fine. Like the Lord speaks to us in certain passages and things like that. Sometimes we read something we're like, oh my goodness, that's what that's, oh, that's speaking right to my heart. Uh, and a great example is um, when we planted this church, you know, we, a lot of us kept seeing 1111. That was something that the Lord was speaking to us about. And then someone gave us the verse Deuteronomy 1111. And it says, you're going over to possess the land of hills and valleys. And we've been praying for the Yarra Valley. We've been praying for this region. And that for us was a personal prophetic sign that we're to move forward on planting this church. And so, but first and foremost, Deuteronomy 1111 is talking about people actually going into the promised land. Um, another example is like that I often use is David and Goliath. You know, um, people have used that in, I think it, it has to be close to the number one preached sermon in the world of, you know, David, you're David and, you know, you slay the giant and whatever giant's in front of you, God wants you to conquer it and he's conquered it for you. If you're with the Lord and you've got your, your, your tools and don't wear your brother's armor, wear your own armor and all these analogies and pictures, prophetic imagery that we can bring into it. And that's okay. That's fine. God can speak to us in all kinds of uh, cool and crazy ways. But the reality is there was a prince, a king named David. 
He was a shepherd boy and he was a real person and he killed a real giant. He killed this Philistine uh, with a stone and, that, and then he chopped off his head. That really happened. It's not a, a, it's not a prophetic image. It's not a picture. It actually took place. And so <clears throat> it's just really important that we go, oh, when I'm reading this or I'm reading a chapter that I can go, oh, maybe I need to read why the therefore is therefore and not just start on chapter 8 and verse 1 and go, oh, actually, I need a little bit of context here as to why Paul is saying uh, what he's saying. So um, if we go to, actually, let's do one more. If we go to Galatians 5, I think this is really important and I want to just speak to something um, because I think we need to be, um, we need to make sure that we're not taking... <laughs> doctrines and things and making them fit our own lenses that we want to put on um, to, to read the Bible. We have to understand first and foremost, what's the context, especially in the New Testament, what's the context that Paul is writing these letters into? Um, doctrines that have been snapped out of one verse and they're taken way out of context and way out of, uh, uh, um, they're just taken out of the Bible is like taking one phrase and building an entire belief system around one phrase. Um, a, a friend of ours uh, did this thing, it's quite funny and quite humorous, but he, he took a lot of uh, preachers that he's friends with, uh, he was a preacher himself, I'm not going to name him, but he's a preacher himself and he wrote down one line phrases that all of his friends had said and he said if I quoted you saying this it would sound like you're preaching absolute heresy <laughs> as one line so he's taken one line out of context and and gone if I just said hey Liam Swain says this it would it just wouldn't look good but then the context you go oh hang on why has he said that and you start to get the context of, oh, okay, he's painting this picture, he's giving this illustration, he's doing these things, whatever he's, oh, here's the context of the times that Paul was speaking to, and so that makes a lot more sense. Um, one example, I was talking about it with Shen the other day, is 1 Corinthians 11, where, and I'm not going to go into, into it too much, but 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul talks about uh, women having head coverings on when they prophesy or when they pray. Um, there was a, a sect going around at the time, a, a secular god um, of, of that time, Greek god of that time, that was promoting pr promiscuous um, behavior that would tell women to take their headdress off and dance and be provocative uh, in a certain way. And we can, we can pretty much guarantee that this was talking about worship leaders or people in authority or people in positions in the church um, that Paul was addressing uh, women to have headscarves on because a sign of that day, if you didn't wear a headscarf when you walked outside, was you were a prostitute or you were a promiscuous woman. It's like if someone uh, here at Glory City uh, had a short skirt and, or a you know, revealing top or a guy was coming in and you know, a low-cut singlet that was you know, really revealing and had all the chest hair showing and everything like that, I would probably have a comment to them and say, I don't know if you can wear that um, if you're going to be leading uh, you know, worship in our community because, because of the uh, appearance on which that promotes to our young people. And so I would address that in that way. And Paul's doing the same thing. He's addressing an issue. But he's not saying to modern day uh, 
Glory City Church or whoever in, in uh, the West in our day and age in 2020 um, that you have to come in with a headscarf on. He's addressing a very um, cultural issue uh, of that time. Then there are things that we can, that are for today. It, there's a lot of things in, obviously, it's the Bible. We can use it uh, in, in that way. And there's so much in here that we can use. And so um, another one here is Galatians 5. Uh, I, hope, I hope this is helping. Uh, Galatians 5. Um, oh, where is it? Verse 9 says, a little, leavens, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord and you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. If we take this next verse and just pluck it out of the middle with no other context, it can sound super weird, right? It says, I wish those who unsettle you would, would emasculate themselves, right? So here, if we just go, oh, look, Paul said this, and we pluck it out of context, Paul's saying, I wish everyone would just go and make themselves a eunuch, right? And so he's addressing something that um, he's saying, oh, I wish if you're going to just do that, just go and do the whole thing. Like if you're just going to do that, go back to the old ways of the law. If you're going to just do the whole, don't do a little bit, just go and do the whole thing and just cut the whole thing off. That's in the Bible. That's in your Bible, right? And so we can't just take a verse out of context and try and make it fit. Oh, this is what it means because of the lens on which we look through. We have to go, what's the cultural understanding? What's he addressing? Okay, I can go back to chapter one of Galatians and I can start to read and I can start to see, oh, Paul's making a case against the old way of the Mosaic law and the new way of the Christian living and the circumcision of our heart not just, it's not by works, but it's by grace. And he's, he's building a case and he's having a conversation, but we can't just take one verse out of context and culturally go and just go, well, this is it. And I have a problem with this often with people um, who they take one verse and they fit it into their doctrine. They go, oh, see, I believe this and I believe this because of this one verse. And oh, Liam, we need to take the Bible literal. And I'm like, which part are you taking literal? Are you taking the part where Paul says, go and emasculate yourself and pluck out your, your eye, where Jesus says, pluck out your eye and cut off your arm? Are you taking that part literal too? Or which, which, which part are you taking literal? You know, and we need, this is so important because I would rather us as a community read the Bible and understand it in a deeper way and I'd rather us read it once a week and have a deeper understanding at the end of that week than read it every day for 50 years and never have an understanding of who this, who this God is talking about. I would rather us grow in understanding and grow in wisdom. I'm not talking about like just intellectual knowledge. I'm talking about growing understanding of, oh, this is what Paul was saying. And it starts to give us a richer and a deeper understanding of the context and the nature of God. Anyway, that's, that's chapters 
I like them because we can read them and we can have our, you know, devotion time. I'm, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, but I think we have to be careful uh, with, with those things. And so uh, that's, that's just a little bit of, of, of how we, um, you know, and then so the, New Test, uh, the Old Testament, sorry, is not in chronological order. And, and that's, we have to understand that. We have to understand that uh, when I'm reading Ezra and Nehemiah, they're talking about rebuilding of, the, of the, uh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem hasn't even been destroyed if you read it in chronological order. And so it's like, oh, hang on, why, why are they rebuilding Jerusalem? And it's like, but Jerusalem gets destroyed over here uh, in Daniel and Babylon. And, and it's like, oh, okay, they're talking about that. And, and, it's, and it's, it's just handy to understand. You're like, oh, I'm reading the, the Psalms and I'm reading the Proverbs and I'm reading this as, this is wisdom literature. No, it's, it's poetic in language and it's, or this is prophetic. This is actually prophetic imagery of that day when Joseph, when the sun and the moon bow down and worship him. That's prophetic imagery that he understands and the Jewish people understood that's talking about his mother and father and the family. They knew instantly. He says, I had this dream, the sun and the moon bow down and worship me. And then it says, and they instantly knew they were talking about them bowing down and worshipping Joseph. It's like if someone said to me, hey, the sun and the moon are bowing down, I, that wouldn't be my uh, Western Australian lens on which I look through. But when we start to have an understanding of Hebraic uh, culture and we start to have an understanding of these things, we just get a richer, um, a richer depth to knowing this, knowing this, this book and, and the author who wrote it. And so... Um, <clears throat> Yeah, let's, uh, let's grow in our understanding of this book, not just the repetition. Let's grow in, our, in the understanding and, and bring, uh, you know, I, I really believe we're just due for a Bible revival um, because I, I don't want to be moved by Facebook or by the news or by... Um, the current uh, pop culture of the day. I want to be moved by this book. It's the Word of God. Um, it's incredible. We can uh, study it. We can know it. We can. Uh, I don't want to grow in head knowledge and be puffed up, but I want to grow in my intimate knowing of who the Father is. And we should. And, and now, hear me. Hear me out here. We should be growing in not a different revelation uh, than than what was written in here. But we know things today that we didn't know a hundred years ago about um, the world, about the you know creation, about things not from a um, a secular point of view, but even from a biblical point of view. There's things that we know today that are are like uh, are backing this up, and uh, are affirming who God is, and we should grow. I would hope my children have a deeper understanding of God than I do that there should be layer upon layer, line upon line, precept upon precept. Uh, not that it's a different thing that we, in 20 years' time we're preaching something different. It should be the gospel and it should be about Jesus. It should be about knowing him. Uh, we're not growing in, in a sense of like we've, um, we're progressive in that sense. No, not at all. Uh, I never want to move away from the foundations of this ever. Um, but I do want to grow in my understanding of, of who God is and the things that um, we know today are it's just amazing because we have access to things that even a thousand years ago they didn't have access to. And so uh, that's, that's important. And in Jewish culture, uh, they, there's a, it says meditate on the scriptures day and night. 
and I'll probably just finish with this, but it, it says meditate on the scriptures day and night. And that word meditate is the word to mutter, to mumble, to speak out loud. And one of the things that I've been doing for a long time is I've been opening up the scriptures and I, I, I walk around my house, generally when no one's home, and I just read the scriptures out loud. And I just mutter them. I meditate. I, I meditate on them day and night in that sense. Um, I, I'm reading it. I'm reading it in a way that I'm like, read me, God. Let this sink in. Let this read me in a way that I can uh, grow in my revelation of who you are. And so um, I, I just encourage you, if that's something that, uh, that you want to grow in, in, is in the understanding of Scripture and, and, and in that way, is to, to, that's one practical way you can do that, is to grab your Bible, and I don't care which one it is, and, uh, and mutter. Actually meditate on Scripture, read Scripture out loud. Um, another really cool uh, little tool, um, you know, because a lot of times uh, people are like, oh, do I have to go to Bible college to understand all of what you were talking about and get the history of the, the canon of Scripture? And do I need to do years and years of study? No, you actually don't. You, you can dig a little bit yourself. You can do your own research. Um, I, I recommend the Bible Project guys. They're fantastic in just giving an overview, which doesn't necessarily promote a, a one view. They often give two or three different views of what it could possibly be. Um, and, you know, uh, they agree on the, fa the fundamentals and then they bring in just some great research and what people have done. So that's one tool that I, I recommend. Um, another one is this. It's called the Nelson's Pocket Reference Bible. Uh, it's a really small Bible. I don't know if you can see that, but um, it's quite small in terms of, and you can, you know, just have it with you. And it just gives you some key, um, key attributes of that book. It gives you a bit of a, a timeline um, sometimes, depending on what book it is, gives you a couple of key verses uh, in that book and the general theme of what that book is about. You know, say it's, um, you know, say it's Exodus. It's, it's like, okay, this book is about Moses. It's where the Ten Commandments come in. It's where Mount Sinai happens. It's where the in, uh, initiation of the law happens. It just gives you a key verses. So when you start to read it, you can be like, oh, okay. I understand the context now. I understand a little bit of history. I understand a little bit, and I can have a bit more of a depth of understanding. So that's really good. It's like $12, I think, the Nelson's uh, Bible Handbook. There's a couple of Nelson's Bible Handbooks that you can get. Um, you know, that, that's a really good one that, that, uh, that's helped me a lot. So uh, I recommend those, those couple of things in terms of uh, helping us and tools for us that we're reading our, our scriptures and so, yeah, I, I just wanted to, I wanted to uh, do a little bit more of a, of a um, historical view for us this morning because I, I want us to fall in love with this book again uh, in a way that we're not being moved by the signs of the, the times, but we have a, an assurance of, ah, oh, I'm so rock solid in my faith in the Lord because... I know that that verse that maybe for years has been taken out of context, I know that's talking about this now. And I understand the um, first, and, and, and this is just a good practical tool. When we read the Bible, we should first and foremost read it, go, hey, what's the context? Who's he writing to? He's writing to first century Christians. Paul's writing to first century Christians. And okay, he's not writing to Liam Swain in 2020. First and foremost, he's writing to 
first century Christians. All right, cool. What's his picture? What's his analogy? Okay, that's cool. That's cool. I can understand that, right? Now, I can can have a bit of a historical context. Oh, what's what's he saying? What's the point of his message that, say, Paul's trying to get in in the letter of Ephesians, right? Oh, he's... He's, uh, he's, he's correcting something. He's uh, maybe addressing a certain person. Oh, he's written to that person. You've, you've, you, uh, you know, whoever, I can't remember who he writes to, but, you know, beautiful Theophilus, you know, Luke writes to in Acts. So, oh, he's actually written this letter to a person that's circulating around the different churches. Okay, cool. I, I understand that. So there's context. And then, thirdly, can it speak to me? Yes, absolutely. It's like, okay. You know, Ephesians, one of my favorite books, you know, where Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every name is named in heaven and on earth, uh, that he may grant to us wisdom and grace and uh, revelation and all of these things. It's like, oh, I can take that now personally for me and I can apply that to my life and that can speak to me and I can, um, you know, I can use that to edify my life, to edify the body, to build up each other in the faith. But I can't, what I can't do is I can't take a verse out of context and build a doctrine around it. That's dangerous, very dangerous. It's how cults start. Uh, it's how we get out into a complete error. We first and foremost have to come back to, okay, what's it saying in context? What's the historical view? Okay, is there context around this? Does it fit in the overall picture of Jesus, the, uh, the, the Old Testament, uh, and does it fit into the, the New Testament in Paul's writings? Does it have a major fit into all of those things? Yes, okay, it does. Cool, we can move forward. right? Whereas if I take something out of context and I put it into, uh, I make a doctrine out of it and it doesn't fit in with the life of Jesus or it doesn't fit into Paul's um, you know, letters and I just c- come up with something way out there, then, and then that's dangerous, very dangerous. And, uh, and so, yeah. The last thought, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to open up a can of worms. I know I said that was the last thought, but this is the last thought. That's just what we do as preachers. Uh, <laughs> is, um, <clears throat> is to prepare you for part two. Uh, is um, the old, and I'm going to say a phrase now, and before you, before you throw stones at your TV, I'm going to clarify it, all right? The, st- the, the phrase is this. Um, not all of the old covenant is in the Old Testament, right? Not all of the Old Covenant is in the Old Testament. And all of the New Covenant isn't all of the New Testament, right? Not all of the New Covenant is in, all of it isn't in the New Testament. What I mean by that is this. Um, Jesus began his ministry in the middle of the Mosaic Covenant. Or, or at the end of the Mosaic Covenant, I should say. And he ended the Mosaic Covenant and began the New Covenant. The New Covenant didn't start at Matthew 1, Luke 1, and Mark 1. The New Covenant in John 1, the New Covenant started when Jesus died and resurrected on the cross and ushered in a new way of living. That's when the New Covenant began, right? It was inaugurated on the cross and it began when he resurrected. All right, so when we're reading Matthew 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, all of these, these chapters, we're actually still reading in a new, in, sorry, in an old covenant uh, uh, day. 
And so <clears throat> the Old Covenant, when referred to, and I'm going to clarify this, the Old Covenant, when referred to in, um, in, the, in the Bible, it's talking about the Mosaic Covenant. So wherever you see, I think it's only three or four times it's mentioned in the New Covenant, it, it talks about the Mosaic Covenant. It's talking about the Mosaic Covenant that was uh, initiated on, on Mount Sinai. Um, there are four, uh, sorry, three other covenants uh, in the Bible that we can see that have the word covenant and some symbol or, or um, uh, story around, uh, around them. Um, some people say the Adamic uh, Adam, Adam is a covenant uh, and, and they say that that's an Adamic covenant that now has been fulfilled in Christ. Um, that word is never used. They just they, um, say that because of the uh, slaying of the animal that covered the skin of um, Adam and Eve. And so, um, but the actual word covenant is never used from the Lord towards them. He never actually mentions those words. Um, but with Abraham, Abraham, he does. He says, this is the covenant. I think it's in Genesis 17. We're going to unpack it next week. But he says, uh, uh, this is the covenant sign that I will make with you. Your na- you will be a father of many nations. It doesn't say many nations. He says many nations. And the sign of that covenant, if you know what it is, it's circumcision. And that's why we are called children of Abraham. Because we now are to go into all the nations and make disciples of all the nations. And so that is actually being fulfilled today. Right? And then there's so there's the Abrahamic covenant, then there's the Noahic covenant covenant, which is Noah, and we should all know what the sign of the Noahic covenant is uh, when he and I just I, I do like uh, I was listening to a guy and uh, he painted this great picture about you know Noah lands after you know no rud, no rain for thousands of years or hundreds of years, then there's a flood and uh, and then you know now he's on land. He builds a vineyard, and then all of a sudden, there's, there's rain again. It's like you, might, you probably would have a freak out after having no rain for ages. Rain comes, flood. Uh, you probably would have a bit of a freak out moment. Um, but God says, hey, Noah, I'm going to make a covenant with you that I will never flood the earth again. And he paints the rainbow in the sky. And so that's a covenant that... that God made with Noah. And I love it because it's not conditional on Noah's end. It's uh, God said, I'll never flood the earth again. He didn't say, I'll never flood the earth again unless da-da-da-da-da. He made, he made a covenantal agreement. Uh, and then the last one is the Davidical covenant, uh, is the covenant of David. And, uh, and God made a covenant with David that he will have a throne uh, and his lineage will be the king will be on the throne, which if you trace Jesus' lineage back, uh, it's, it's right back to David. And so, um, and Matthew records this, which is a, a written to Jews, and uh, it's, it starts, the opening line of Matthew is um, Jesus, uh, well, let's read it because it's just awesome. It says this, uh, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He's writing to Jews and Matthew's saying, this covenant, those two covenants are about to be fulfilled. They're about to be put into action. And so, um, and then we have the Mosaic covenant and then we have the new covenant. So those are the five covenants, Abrahamic, Noahic, Davidical, Mosaic, and, um, and the new covenant. 
And so the uh, Mosaic covenant is different from all of the other covenants. And next week, I'm going to explain why that is. Uh, and so I'm going to, we're going to go into it. We're going to unpack it. Uh, and we're going to go on a little bit of a journey um, over the next coming weeks around um, some, uh, some topical uh, things um, that are present today. We're going to do some, in, we're going to talk about some eschatology. Um, we're going to address some of the issues, the Antichrist, Mark of the Beast, um, things like that. We're going to just unpack them really simply, give you guys some tools just to look at it for yourself, um, address some of those things. We're going to talk about covenants. Um, and all of this stuff is really important. Why are we talking about this? It's not so much a preach as it is more of a teach and a, just a, an outworking is because I want, um, not just for me and not just for you guys, but I want, I want anyone that comes uh, into our influence, into our church, into our community, that we can um, clearly, as you know, we're going to continue to learn for a long time, and I hope we do. We never arrive in that sense. We're constantly learning. We're constantly growing. But that we can actually go, actually, I have a decent foundation of I actually understand more of this book um, tomorrow than I did yesterday. And in five years' time, that we actually have an underst a deeper understanding than we did five years ago, and, and so on. And we build, it, we build upon our revelation of who Jesus is because of the richness that's in this book. And so, cool. That is all. I hope that blesses you. I hope that gives you a bit of a hunger and a bit of a, 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 like a, a, a drive, a desire to go, oh, that's cool. I love that. I want to I get to know a little bit more about about this thing that we call the Bible that can feed us every single day of our lives. And um, we should read it. It's not the Father, the Son, the Holy Bible. It's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And so when we're reading this Bible, we should be reading it with the Holy Spirit in mind, spirit and truth. And um, yeah, let him speak to you in, in, the, in the lovely ways that he does. So Father, I, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word um, that it can speak to us. 2,000 years later, you were the word made flesh. You are living and you are active. You are sharper than any two-edged sword that can just divide uh, and pierce our hearts of what shouldn't be there from what should be there. That every joint and marrow would just be cut. You know, everything that's, that's not supposed to be in our life, Lord, we just say full permission to cut us, full permission to read us, full permission to, to let the word of God, the sword of God just pierce our hearts and just divide and cut us where we need to that you would discipline us and correct us where we need to, Lord. Father, I pray that there'd be a, a deep love, a deep love, a supernatural love for your word, that there'd be a rich, um, a rich like, like the Jewish culture of old, where people would sit around and they'd discuss healthily scripture. They'd pull scriptures apart and they'd They'd, uh, you know, they'd talk about them, not for, for being who's right and who's wrong, but to grow in understanding of who you are, Father. I pray this would, be, um, this would become a normal uh, part of our culture in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful week. Bless you guys. And uh, yeah, we'll see you in homes on the 28th. Stay tuned um, for more information regarding what's happening past that week. And uh, hopefully we'll have the information out to you as soon as possible. Lots of love. Blessings.